the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grooving back on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710. KNUS Eddie 9V. Bringing us into the second hour of the program. News Talk 710. KNUS. Our so long show, as my great grandma Lou would say. It's not goodbye. It's so long. 303-696-1971. We have Ruben Navarrete on the line. Real quick, though, I want to squeeze in Pam and Jim. We got Pam. Pam Benigno from the Independence Institute doing tremendous work on education. Up first, good morning, Pam. Oh, good. Excuse me. Good morning, Jimmy. I just wanted to thank you publicly for all that you've done for uh, for for parents, uh, for me, getting the word out on various policies, but giving parents a platform to be able to tell their stories, uh, that's that's rare, and I just appreciate it so much. And also, uh, of course, your excellent investigative reporting skills on education issues. You've just done a fantastic job. I'm sure we'll continue to see that. Um, through your through your columns, but I'm going to personally miss you on Saturday mornings. I know we'll see each other other places, and I hope to make a concert someday. But uh, it's a real disappointment on on my side that uh, of the radio that I won't hear you on Saturday mornings. I look forward to it every week. So just wow. thank you so much, Jimmy, for all I, that you've done. I appreciate it, and I will be continuing the investigative work on education and other stories, of course, twice weekly in the Denver Gazette. And I just want to say, somebody else really loves my education articles. How you doing, Jimmy? Good. How are you, Tay? Doing all right. Love your weekly articles about me. Tay Anderson loves my weekly articles that I was writing about him, or seemingly weekly. So uh, I got that going for me, too, Pam. Thank you so much. And, and keep up the great work as well for so many years at the Independence Institute. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. Real quick, let's squeeze in Jim in Littleton. Jim, good morning. Good morning, Jimmy. I became familiar with you when you had a show on Colorado Springs, B for B. Ah, so it was it was actually out of Denver, but business for breakfast oh. on KDMT sixteen ninety AM, which Salem owned that business station, and then it was sold, and we had to. Cut things loose, but awesome. I'm so glad that you found yours truly over on Business for Breakfast. Yeah, I thought that was a great show, and then all of a sudden I'm hearing you on Saturday. I think uh, I think your moniker has been, though, uh, the issues with the Denver School Board. I yeah. Mean, uh, you brought to attention. I mean, that I would say that was your big, where I listened to you, and I thought no one else had a better presence on handling that and bringing it to attention that say Anderson guy and uh, I don't know is anyone else going to carry that torch after you leave in terms of radio we'll see what happens in that regard but I'll continue on Denver and other school boards in the Denver Gazette with my with my columns but I appreciate that Jim you got a great name as well of course and I am grateful for the business for breakfast tie-in because that was a fun chapter for yours truly I really enjoyed that and do miss that 
as well. But, Jim, thanks so much for listening all these years. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope you'll keep tabs on what's next. Yeah, good luck on your, your future endeavors. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Speaking of business for breakfast, I had this gentleman on as a regular weekly guest, I think on Wednesdays. No, it was Mondays with Ruben Navarrete, I believe. And he joins me now, longtime syndicated columnist, host of the Ruben in the Center podcast and Navarrete Nation on Substack. Good morning, brother. Thanks for waiting. Brother Jimmy, so good to be with you. We have a nice send off for you. You deserve it. You've worked hard and you're good at what you do. Well, I appreciate that truly. We go back a lot of years. Like I've been interviewing you most of my time with this program, maybe even further back than that. And we've had conversations on so many different topics. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about you as a guest is there are times where you have a take and I'm like, I did not expect that from Ruben Navarrete. Right. You know, one of, one of the things um, when I first started my column, uh, my syndicate column at the Washington Post, my boss, the person who hired me, sat me down over at lunch and said, you know, my, one of my favorite phrases to tell columnists, predictability kills the column. That if you're predictable, people stop reading you. Ultimately, as human beings, we're complicated people. Our media, not so much, not so complicated, right? We have a blue team and a red team. But uh, if you just sort of speak your mind and your heart and you lay out the complexities some days you sound like a conservative some days you sound like a liberal gee i've just described my grandmother i've described your grandmother i've described us all uh and so uh that that is something that doesn't come through in politics and media enough but it was great advice and uh i'm still at all these many years and you're right sometimes i've been on your show and and i would say something where it sounded like i was you know several clicks to the right or several clicks to the left you know there are times for me as well of course i I'm a conservative, and I'm clear about that from a principle standpoint. But in this day and age, especially with Trump and so forth, there are so many different issues and stories and what have you where I think predictability kills a radio show as well, where you need to have a little bit of that spice. Come out of nowhere sometimes or be like, hey, this Trump trade war is a bad idea. Tucker Carlson right. is making an ass out of himself yeah. over in yeah. Russia. I mean, that, that's, those are some things that I've said. I believe them to my core, and I, but I think they make for a better program than when you hear all too often on the radio these days the same thing just from a different person. Yeah, and, you know, the political parties, when you watch them, they turn themselves inside out on dime. They don't believe anything. They believe in self-preservation. They don't have principles anymore if ever they did. You know, the Republicans of today look nothing at all like the – Ronald Reagan Republicans um, of old, the same thing with the Democrats. They don't resemble the John Kennedy Democrats of old. Uh, and so uh, you got to call them on it. There's some contemporary uh, current examples of that with Republicans. Uh, I, I scratch my head, Jimmy. I don't understand how we got to the point where there's an anti-Ukraine element in the U.S. Congress, where there's a pro-Putin element in the U.S. Congress, where if 22 Republican senators support a bill to provide aid to Ukraine, they end up targeted on social media by conservatives who who treat Ukraine aid like the border issue, right? I mean, is there really a constituency out there of people who want Putin to crush Ukraine? And does that live in the GOP? And on the other side with the Democrats, to call them on the carpet as well, they look at the race in New York to replace George Santos, and they see a Democrat candidate who won in that district by pushing hard on border enforcement and coming down hard as an immigration hawk. So the Democrats say, hey, 
I got an idea. Maybe we'll do that now. Maybe after years of trying to demonize Republicans and calling them racist because of their immigration policies, if you can't beat them, join them. I think we'll just do that, too, and everybody will buy it. And so, you know, the parties make my head spin. They always have. Yeah, when it comes to the Russia issue, I don't understand so many folks on the right, but the pushback that I have seen on social media to not just Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin, but the other forms of, I'm going to say it, propaganda that he is doing on behalf of Russia has been shocking to me. And I want to play one example that has been making the rounds. He went to a grocery store in Russia and made it seem like, Everything is hunky-dory over there, and in fact, uh, better than the United States. So we were guessing what this would cost. Everybody here is from the United States, buys groceries, and we didn't pay any attention to costs as we were just putting in the cart what we would actually eat over a week. And we all came in around 400 bucks, about 400 bucks. Um, it was $104 U.S. here. And that's when you start to realize that ideology maybe doesn't matter as much as you thought, corruption. If you take people's standard of living and you tank it through filth and crime and inflation and they literally can't buy the groceries they want at that point maybe it matters less what you say or whether you're a good person or a bad person you're wrecking people's lives in their country and that's what our leaders have done to us and coming to a russian grocery store the heart of evil and seeing what things cost and how people live it will radicalize you against our leaders that's how i feel anyway radicalized We're not making any of this up, by the way. We're not making any of this up, by the way, at all. Never mind the fact that Russians spend like 30% plus of their income on food. Uh, Okay, it may be less for American dollars, but this is uh, kind of undermining or going against, rather contradicting, how economics work, Ruben. I was just like, what the heck am I watching? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. And I saw... Well, you got to remember with Tucker, Tucker, you know, he was a liberal two minutes ago. He was wearing a bow tie. He was on MSNBC. The show used to be called Tucker. And, you know, I, I joked with him when I was on the air and he was attacking me, uh, you know, for a column I had, had written that he didn't agree with. Gee, Tucker, only one of us has ever really worked for MSNBC, you know, and it's not me. Uh, and so uh, you're not quite sure where this, this guy's coming from. Uh, it's mostly about Tucker. It's always been that way. But, yeah, I saw the video. I saw that video, and there's a moment there where you can tell where a woman picks up, like, this package of meat, right? <clears throat> there are a lot of barren shelves in these stores, in, in this Russian grocery store. But she picks up a packet of meat from, like, the refrigerated section, and she, like, smells it and puts it back down again, right? And I'm thinking, this is not the greatest billboard for Russia uh, and, and economic policy and how it's, a, a, you know, hurting their people and, and the like. Uh, I, I get where he, he was trying to make a point about a very simple point that people are people around the world and sometimes their government hurts them. And clearly that's been the case with the Putin government and, and the Russian people. But it ended up, like you said, coming off as just pro-Russia propaganda that that said, hey, maybe ideology is not so important. Last note on this, you know, he couldn't have gone to a supermarket in Kiev because the Russians blew it up, you know, with artillery fire. And if you go to Kiev, you see refugees who don't have anything to eat. They're not going to a grocery store. They're they're going all the way around the world uh, to try to find a home. So he could have told a different story if he had been so inclined. 
He also said in an interview in Dubai, what was radicalizing, very shocking and very disturbing for me was the city of Moscow, where I'd never been the biggest city in Europe, 13 million people. And it is so much nicer than any city in my country. I had no idea. Now, look, we're in Denver here broadcasting, (laughs) and I have to tell you, Denver is, as my friend Stephen Tubbs put it, in decay. That is for sure. What's happening in inner cities across this country is devastating with the crime and everything else. But I highly doubt that Moscow is much nicer than any city in the United States. Yeah, you know, it's a bit like you could really do this anywhere. You could go to China. You could go to North Korea. You could go to any of these countries and put up about a billboard, a commercial for them and say, wow, they've got some really nice cities here. Um, but one thing they don't have in those places is freedom. And, you know, freedom is sometimes messy. People have freedom to do things that sometimes they ought not do. Uh, and we have a homeless problem and we have an urban decay problem and, and we have trouble with our cities uh, in many cases. But there's just no comparison. There's, I, I can't believe we're even having this conversation, right? Um, and I've, I guess we've seen it before. People go to Cuba, they come back and say it's not as bad as they thought, and they romanticize it. But the funny thing is, when people on the left do that, when the left goes to Cuba and says, oh, look, socialism works great, you know, uh, everybody, you know, has access to, to medicine or schools and the like, people like Tucker Carlson used to mock them, used to make fun of them, used to say that's crazy. You know, the propaganda, in that case, just pack up and move to Cuba. Well, in this case, you know, some conservatives are saying the same thing about Tucker Carlson, that he, he uh, has his uh, priorities to skew. And he does seem clearly to have his, nicely put, priorities askew. Again, we're talking with syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete, legendary radio host Mike Rosen, joining us at the bottom of the hour. I want to shift gears to immigration. We just had the impeachment vote by, I think, two votes. Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, was impeached. The first cabinet secretary, I think, ever to be impeached by the House. Now, he's not going to be removed in the Senate. Do you think he resigns after this? What do you make of the Republicans going after Mayorkas in this fashion? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's wacky. It's also not probably very smart in the long run. Um, And conservatives are the ones who are saying that's not smart. You're hearing a lot of criticism from conservative Republicans who say that this is a bad move because it takes people's eye off of Biden. It's President Biden in the White House who sets immigration policy. It's President Biden in the White House that sets education policy, agricultural policy. All the cabinet secretaries do is carry out that policy. It's all set by the White House. Uh, And it's always been this way. And what some conservatives are saying is just when we had cemented the narrative that this was Joe Biden's open border, you provide a new villain and you say it's Alejandro Mayorkas. So if Joe Biden fires Alejandro Mayorkas today, we're going to have a secure border. Is that the idea? And most Republicans are saying, oh, they're just have their hand in their head, uh, their head in their hands and thinking, what, what did you do? This is not very smart. It also sets this bad precedent, because if you're going after cabinet secretaries for policy set by the White House, you can see where that's going to go uh, when the Democrats are in charge, uh, as at some point they will be. And lastly, um, this is, um, you know, a bad, uh, a bad look. The optics are bad because I went back and I looked at this and I saw that. Um, is it Andy Biggs from Arizona, who first suggested uh, impeaching Mayorkas, 
six months after he got the job. So you could argue Mayorkas hadn't even unpacked and you know decorated his office yet, and there was already a Republican who was talking about impeaching him. So they never liked this guy. They always suspected him. Here's the last point. Mayorkas is a Cuban refugee who became a lawyer and a top government official. And there was this sense and is this sense among some Republicans that he's too soft and lenient because he empathizes with refugees and, and migrants. What some people might have seen as a plus in his biography, the Republicans turned into a negative. So uh, it may be, may be that if Alejandro Mayorkas was a white male uh, who was born in Cincinnati, he'd still have his job. You know, it, it, I, I don't know about the racial piece, but I do think that in terms of the position and what you're breaking down here as far as the precedent that is set, but also the implications of pulling away from Biden where the policy blame really belongs. I think that that's some important food for thought. Um, I, I'm a little torn on this because I do think that my orcas has also failed in his job. But the arguments that you're making uh, for that, that a lot of conservatives are making is are compelling. And it does, I think, provide a little bit of support for Congressman Ken Buck outgoing from Colorado, who is one of what I think three Republicans who voted against the impeachment of Mayorkas. So that uh, is interesting. And I think you just gave some folks some food for thought, as you always do in your syndicated columns. But Ruben, I'm just about out of time with you this morning. And I want to talk for a moment about the state of media today, not just talk radio, the medium that we are on right at this moment. But broadly speaking, with podcasts, with social media, with columns that have taken forms online as well as still in paper and what have you, how do you assess what is happening in media today, especially as we sunset a radio program with the Jimmy Sangenberger Show wrapping up today? Well, you see what's happening with Jimmy. You, you have someone who has done well in one medium. This job is a lot harder than it looks. I know I've done this job. And uh, then he pivots to other things. All of a sudden, he's writing a column. Uh, he'll have other products where he can access his material directly. Uh, and the versatility of, of producers of media content is really something stunning. And it's something that is, is operating at a higher level now than it used to. Uh, both Jimmy and Ruben are producers of media and consumers of media. As consumers of media, it's a great, great time. You have all these options in terms of taking in media content, uh, video content and audio and print, uh, and digital print as well. Uh, but as a producer, it's uh, the Wild West, and it's sometimes very challenging. But there's always opportunity around the door. It's one of my favorite, uh, favorite quotes from Wall Street, from you know, my, my, my friends who are in the finance community, is, you know, chaos breeds uh, opportunity. Chaos breeds opportunity. And so there's plenty of chaos in the media world. But, man, everywhere I look around, every corner, there's opportunity. I think that is the mark of today's media for sure, and you've laid it out uh, quite well on the program. Ruben Everett, it has been such a treat having you on for so many years. We'll keep interviewing each other and having conversations with what's next coming up. But a final word before I let you go, brother. What can I say? We'll be back. We'll be back. Absolutely. Ruben Navarrete, syndicated columnist. Read his work. It's always getting you thinking. Really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care. All right. We are going to take a break here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. When we come back, you heard him for many, many years. He was the king of conservative talk radio. Now he joins us at the bottom of this hour. None other than Mike Rosen will be joining us on 
this so long show, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show on 710 KNUS. Then coming up in the next hour, Stephen Tubbs and Peter Boyles. And keep your calls coming as well. If you'd like, 303-696-1971. I appreciate all the texts that have been coming in as well on the 710KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town. If you wish to, text in, please. And follow me for what's next. Log on to jimmysangenberger.com. All ease all the time. And sign up for the Sangenberger Sizzle newsletter to get it right in to your inbox. Keep it right here, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk, 710 KNUS. With the best bumper music known to man, it's the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, News Talk, 710 KNUS. Little back where it all begins. This is Almond Brothers from the first album that really got me into the Almond Brothers at uh, seven years old. I was hooked on this one. Where It All Begins, tremendous album that came out in the 1990s. Great to be with you. As we say, so long on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. And really for me in this segment, go back to where it all begins, which is my very first radio interview that I ever gave when I was 17 years old. I was putting together a program for a nonprofit called Liberty Day Institute, and I happened to be introduced to this gentleman who for decades was the king of conservative talk in Denver, and he was kind enough to bring me on to his program. Mike Rosen joins me on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Good morning, Mike. How the heck are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you? And congratulations. Ten years in radio is a pretty good stint. It's not like the Postal Service as far as job security is concerned. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling good, and I'm grateful to have you on the program. It has been quite a journey over these 10 years, and, and a lot has changed in media. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to do something that is going to make me cringe. It might make you cringe. I'm going to play just over a minute. Of you interviewing me at, at 17 years old. And look, I'm putting together a high school conference. It's the first interview that I'm ever doing. I'm on Mike Rosen's show of any program. And you ask me an entirely reasonable question, a good question. But I'm a, a little like, okay, I don't want to answer this question. Let's just take a listen. Where, where do you go to school, Jimmy? Uh, Grandview High School. And what year are you in? Senior. And how did you learn about the Constitution? Um, through my different classes from back in eighth grade, a social studies class. Then last year I took AP government and politics and AP um, United States history. AP meaning advanced placement. Yes, so uh, college level courses. Generally, do junior high schools and high schools spend a good deal of time and adequately educate kids about the Constitution? Um, I'm not here to judge whether or not the Constitution is being appropriately taught in schools. My goal here and the goal of Liberty Day with this event is simply to just further whatever it is that the schools are doing. So I'm not, it's not my place in this case. That's to very, that's very diplomatic. <laughs> I don't know why you need to be diplomatic. You're not running for anything, are you? Uh, well, I am representing an organization and I am organizing an event that I don't want to potentially stir anything. Or Okay, I understand. 
I just wanted to give you a chance to promote the event, but I was curious as to how much time is spent teaching kids about the Constitution. My guess is not nearly enough. Now, you may have learned something about it in an advanced placement class, but not all kids take advanced placement classes. Now, I have to tell you, in my mind, I was going, Mike is absolutely right. I just don't want to say anything. What do you think? What do you make of that from, uh, gosh, like almost 17 years ago, 2007, I was barely 17. Well, you, you sound the way you avoided that question. Um, you'd be doing a much better job than the current press secretary. <laughs> That's true. Corinne Jean-Pierre. Yes, indeed. She is the worst, isn't she? She cannot answer a question without looking at the pre-prepared answer that was written for her. You know, when I look at KJP and I see her on stage or whatever you want to call it with the press conferences, I'm just stunned by how the Biden administration would continue to let her be the press secretary when she can't answer questions. She seems very unprepared and and she has to go on script. If it's off script, she gets messed up. And even when it's on script, she's not on point. I mean, that is one of the biggest problems that Biden's Biden has in this administration, I think, is her. Good point. Uh, you know, you, you talked about your first radio interview with with me. Uh, I can name somebody else who did her first radio interview with me, Laura Ingram, when she was a student really? at Dartmouth. Yes, you remember the Dartmouth Review? Uh, probably still exists. I hope. I think uh, it that does. was the the unofficial uh, conservative uh, college paper at Dartmouth, and it was started by Dinesh D'Souza. When Dinesh graduated, he handed the baton to Laura Ingram. Uh, I, I was a big fan of the Dartmouth Review and had uh, Dinesh on the program several times, including for the next 30 years. Uh, but Laura Ingram took over as editor of the Dartmouth Review, and I had her on the air. Oh, that that's fun. fun. Well, one other thing of note is that back when I was in college at Regis University, I was head of the College Republicans, I think it was 2010, and we brought you to come speak to the campus at, at Regis, and that was a great time as well. And Regis isn't a very conservative school. Far it? from it. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, former Congressman Bob Schaefer said this to me before I went to Regis, and I didn't understand it until I got to Regis, that the Jesuits are the hippies of the Catholic Church. And as Pope Francis indicates at Regis University, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, so many, uh, even Denver's private schools. Uh, Kent Denver used to be somewhat conservative. Uh, it's far less so now, and I could go through the list. I can't think of one conservative school, one of the you know the upscale private schools. That, Just that CCU, really Colorado Christian University yeah, would be the one sure. the one exception to that rule for sure. Mike Rosen joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Well, I, I have to say I appreciate over the years we have since that interview when I was seventeen kept in contact. You have uh, been been a mentor and a friend to me, which I so appreciate over these years. Um, as as I get ready to sunset this program, any thoughts for yours truly? Well, let's see. I'm not sure what you're planning to do next, but I heard a rumor that you are going to be the campaign manager for uh, Tay Anderson's run for governor. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have been able to travel across America. Yes, Jimmy, across America. He is. He's totally hiring me for that. I appreciate you announcing. Uh, what, what did the? How did that idea get into your head, Mike Rosen? 
it just popped in. I, you've done such great work at the Denver Gazette, and uh, one of your principal targets was Tay Anderson. You did a wonderful job exposing him. Absolutely. Well, and, and of course, you write uh, regularly for the Denver Gazette as well. Let's talk about a media mix, because the way that media is today, you have a situation where, and you did this when you were in radio, you host a radio show or podcast or whatever that vocal audio medium is, or TV shows, you do columns, you have a mix. To me, it seems that that's so critical in this day and age is to have a media mix. You can't just have one thing or another and make a, a successful go at it. That's, that's a great point. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm lucky. I, I was blessed with uh, a, a variety of skills. Uh, I can talk, as in radio, or give speeches, which I've done so many times. Uh, and I can also write. And you don't find a lot of public policy people uh, who are pundits, opinion people, who can write as well as as speak, and I have th those are two different mediums, which uh, have a completely different strategy for informing and influencing yes. public opinion. And, and incidentally, when I made my crossover from my corporate career into media, uh, it was not to get rich. I took a huge pay cut when I made that crossover. I was a corporate finance executive. Uh, but what I wanted to do was inform and influence public opinion. Uh, but in radio, it's got to be that's as a measure of entertainment. Uh, there are some people on on radio, and this isn't a question of good or bad. It's just different. Whose primary interest is entertaining people? Uh, your program director, whatever radio station you're you're on, uh, wants you to be entertaining. So. Being able to satisfy my goals of informing and influence public opinion uh, requires a, a level of entertainment. I, I was lucky, though. I, I did talk radio, and I started in 1980. This was the golden era of talk radio, and that's not so much the case now. Uh, I could do long-form radio instead of having six different topics in, in an hour. Uh, I like long-form radio. I could have a guest on for an hour, and if it's going well and getting a lot of calls, Same. I can carry him over into the next hour. You can't do that these days. Also, uh, podcasts are clearly changing the, the landscape now and the future of talk radio. Everybody in the world can be a talk show host. It's that easy to have a podcast. Uh, very few are going to be commercially successful, but... One of the biggest differences, and in the last few years, Hold on, Mike Rosen. We have something going on with the phone connection. Just give us one moment. We are talking to Mike Rosen here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, 710-KNUS for decades. He was the king of conservative talk. I don't know if he's been given that moniker before, but I'm giving it to him now in Denver. Very pleased to have him on the program as we have a conversation about the nature of radio and audio mediums and more the changing dynamics when it comes to radio when it comes to media writ large have been significant like it's it's not a small thing and in fact tomorrow i write about it in the denver gazette with a new column 
Can Talk Radio adapt to a new era in media, reflecting on some of my experiences and so forth in this medium and more? Mike Rosen, you were saying, sir, I apologize. Uh, Did you hear the part where I talked about podcasts? You were just starting to talk about podcasting and how everybody can be a talk show host, but what success will you have uh, sort of depends. And how big an audience will you have as well? Right. Uh, You you could do a a podcast out of uh, just ego satisfaction, but is anybody going to to listen? But uh, the the other thing I was going to get to, the favorite thing I, I enjoyed on radio was interaction with callers, especially ones who I disagreed with or who disagreed with me, and we can have a running debate on the air. Uh, There are fewer and fewer callers these days on talk radio, uh, and what's replacing it, and I really can't stand this, uh, is people texting instead of calling. So there's no interaction, And, and somebody can text with the most ridiculous point in the world and not have to defend it with the talk show host then simply being restricted to reading the text and taking it uh, from there. Uh, that uh, that disappointed mm. me. You know, that's a good point. I, I do like when texts come in at times and try to work them in, but the calling is what makes a talk show on the radio what it is. I love those listeners who will call in and give you an absolute rough ride. Like, Jimmy, what the heck are you talking about on this topic? And then a couple weeks later, they'll call in again and they'll be, Jimmy, thank you so much for talking about this issue. You never know how a listener is actually going to respond. And the fact that you have folks who can deeply disagree with you from time to time, but continue to listen in, even if you irritate the hell out of them, and they'll keep listening, and they'll enjoy it, they'll participate positively. That's so much of what this is about. Yeah, you can have some people who call in, and you can actually reach somebody in terms of uh, dealing with his, his argument and, uh, and perhaps, if not convincing him, moving him in your direction. On the other hand, there are people who call in who just want to filibuster and will talk for 10 minutes without letting you get a word in in uh, edgewise. One of the things uh, that I learned very early is I don't have to persuade a caller. I'm using the caller as a, a, a backboard on a, on a basketball court. I'm using the caller's argument and our exchange in order to influence other people who have an open mind. Yes. Yes, that's so important. Mike Rosen joining us. Just a couple minutes left with you, Mike. And I, I want to ask you, since we're talking about radio and what makes radio tick, what makes a good radio host in your view? What are the top two or three qualities that really make somebody stand out as a host? That's a great question. Different people who are listening uh, want different things. Uh, when I talked about that mixture of informing and influencing along with with entertainment, uh, as much as I'm a, a, a student of history and politics and public policy, uh, I didn't always do three hours of politics. I, I mixed it up with a lot of other things. Uh, some of the guests I had, uh, Mickey Mantle, <laughs> Yogi Berra. One of my, my favorite inter- interviews was, was uh, with Mel Brooks. Uh, did you ever oh, see wow. – uh, <laughs> Young Frankenstein. Oh, yes, I and I have it on DVD. That's a great one. I love History of the World Part Two. That's probably my favorite of his yeah. movies. Yeah, so so I, I mixed it up with a lot of variety. Uh, and here's another thing. Uh, if you've got a, a corporate job and you're having a bad day, 
you can, as uh, uh, <laughs> George on Seinfeld would do sometimes, crawl under his desk and hide out for the for the day. On on radio, live radio, if if you don't if it didn't feel well in the morning, but you you dragged yourself in because you wanted to do your three hours, uh, there's no place to hide. Uh, you you've got to uh, make your points, uh, take your hits, make your arguments, interview your guests. You have to sound like you're up, even on a day when most people would roll over and stay in bed all day. That's exactly right. You know, I always made the joke that I'm not a morning person. People who know me know that. I'm not a morning person, but I play one on the radio. And that's exactly how it works for me. By the way, I said History of the World Part 2. I don't know why I said Part 2. I meant Part 1, of course. Mike Rosen, you've been so generous with your time. I'm so grateful for it and uh, grateful to to keep in contact and and have you as a mentor over all these years. Do you have a, a final word before we let you go, sir, on this so long show for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Well, I'm, I'm just uh, very optimistic about your future. You're a, you're a great person. Uh, you've got a lot of knowledge. You, you uh, are a natural for talk radio, and you're a columnist, too. Uh, I just wish you the best of luck and continued success in your media career. Thank you so much, my friend. I will talk to you soon, and grateful for your time this morning. Just I'm happy to do it, Jimmy. Thank you once again. Legendary Mike Rosen joining us here on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We need to run to a break. We'll be back on the other side. News Talk 710 KNUS. All of 25 years old, and he's one of the best damn guitar players alive today. Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram, helping us wrap up the second hour of the program. So grateful to Mike Rosen for joining us. We've got another Mike on the line. i got about a minute for him here. None other than Mike Boyle, host of The Restaurant Show here on 710 KNUS, which used to precede my show when I was 5 to 8 in the evenings. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jimmy. Happy to be with you. Listen, I just called to congratulate you Thank on you. 10 wonderful years. Uh, you know, in addition to having a show Saturday afternoon on KNUS, Sunday morning on KNUS, I have a Saturday morning show on our Salem affiliate in Colorado Springs. And uh, I spent many an hour driving down the I-25 listening to Jimmy Sangenberger. You kept me company Saturday mornings, and I'm going to miss that, buddy. I will miss being a colleague of yours, Mike Boyle. You have just such a fun show. I was very happy once to join you on your show, in fact, when we talked about that restaurant bill that thankfully got squashed last legislative session. I have to run because we'll be up against a break. But uh, when, when are you on? Remind folks and really appreciate you calling in. Saturday, 3 to 5, Sunday, 10 to noon, and uh, I will be there for them this afternoon. I'm going to miss Jimmy Sangenberger and the best bumper music known to man. You Keep know it, it brother. Jimmy. <laughs> Mike Boyle. And you know that you, you've got a place sitting in for me anytime I need a guest host, anytime you want. I will keep that in mind. Thank you so much, Mike. You take care. <laughs> Mike Boyle joining us. Tune in this afternoon to the restaurant show. He is one of the best. Gotta love Mike. On the other side, Stefan Tubbs, Peter Boyle's your call. So much coming up in the final hour of the Jimmy Sangenberger show on the So Long Show on News Talk 710 KNUS. Don't go anywhere. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.